This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, folks. It's it's Kieran here. Um, today's show is dedicated to Andy Hill. Um, Andy was a listener to Price of Football, but far more importantly, he was uh, our son-in-law. He was the husband to, to Gail's daughter. He was the father to our two granddaughters who are aged three and one. Um, Andy was awarded the MBE uh, in the New Year's Honours list. Uh, and on the 16th of March, he he met the king and he was given his medal. And less than two months later, he's, he's passed away. Um, Andy was one of the most decent people I've ever known. He was a fantastic dad. He was a fantastic son to his mum. He was a fantastic son-in-law to us. He loved his wife and his kids. Um, And the reason why he was given an MBE was because he did a job which, frankly, would scare the living daylights out of me. He went to countries and he sorted out their governments when the troops left. He did seven years in Afghanistan. He, He toured in Ukraine. He went to Mali. He was in Bosnia. He went to all of these different places. And his job on behalf of our government was to try to help the people there. He had to sit across the table from people who were murderers and bombers and horrible, horrible people. And he had to do, and he did that with dignity. He did that with compassion. He did that with fairness. He was also one of the smartest guys I've, I've ever met, and it was always a delight to be able to talk to him and learn so much about modern history, about what was happening in the real world, the stuff that we don't see in the media, the stuff we don't see in the headlines. Um, but he was, like all heroes, he was ridiculously modest about what he did as well. Um, so this show's dedicated to him. Um, he, he wasn't a football fan, but he liked the podcast because – this isn't a football podcast, um, and he used to sit in the car with his daughters, and they'd be shouting, "Grandpa's come on the radio again!" Turn him off, um, and um, you know we're we're devastated um, to to have lost him. Uh, he was diagnosed with a, a brain tumor fourteen months ago. He was married last May, and at the start of the year, he, he said he'd two. Two aims this year. One was to to have his first wedding anniversary, and the second was to, to walk his daughter to school on her first day. Sadly, he's, neither of these have taken place, but I just want to remember him for his greatness, his his love to all, his his shared affection that he had with me for horror movies. We we used to go and watch them together. And it would be very strange to have these two old, well, in my case, an old bloke, and in his case, and and then afterwards we would discuss, oh, what was what was our favourite moment of Halloween or Friday the thirteenth, and so on. Um, and just to say, Andy, we we love you, we'll never forget you, we'll cherish you forever, and God bless. <laughs> Thank you.
Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game of me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, hello. It is questions time. We do have a few questions. We do need to get into that. But first of all, Kieran, I've got some exciting news. And Ooh. this is this is news. This is a story we have to cover, Kieran. Um, you clearly didn't get my research notes that I sent to you, but... Coming out of Scotland is a story that we, we really need to discuss, Ken. If you look at League Division 2 in Scotland, you'll see that Stirling are top of the table. But you'll see just a little bit further down, we have East Fife 4th and 4th our 5th. Oh, is, the, 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 when we were schoolboys, it, it we used the, to dream of that moment, didn't the, we? It was the holy grail, Kieran. We used to dream of the day on the football results where it would be East Fife 4, 4 far 5. But I think having East Fife 4th and 4th our 5th, is the closest we are going to get. I know Dumbarton are in second. Apologies to the team in third. You're not getting a mention, but <laughs> uh, I, I don't think these circumstances will ever align themselves again. Um, and thank you to the person who uh, not only sent me a copy of the league table this morning, but then said, you've got to mention that in the pod. We've got underlined twice. So I, I, I assumed it was from a guy under one of his false names, uh, which we... We're still fairly certain the guy's on some kind of witness protection scheme. But, uh, we never will find out. It's questions. Our first question, Kieran, uh, is quite a, a lengthy one, but it's mm. an interesting one, and it comes from uh, Brendan Callahan. And Brendan Callahan says, "I think the change to five subs is possibly a bigger issue than many people think. It's rightly so, wrapped up as a player protection issue, and I'm all in favour of that. But it could also have financial benefits for players on certain contracts, surely." The big one is that players have a much higher chance of hitting appearance targets due to the fact that essentially each team can field up to 16 different players in a match. So will appearance bonuses become a thing of the past due to this and player contracts may move to minutes played rather than actual appearances, that is, if it hasn't done so already? And will there be a few issues in the next couple of years with some players not being played because a club can't, won't pay a bonus that was agreed before the five sub rules? What do you think? That that last... um, uh, it's conspiracy theory. That's something all football fans be that can't pay. It sounds, oh, yes. like a, sounds like a Dario Faux play, doesn't it? Can't pay, won't pay. Uh, that's because it is a Dario. It doesn't sound like it. That is the name of a Dario Faux play. We do again. We've gone from East 5 4, 4 5 5 to uh, anarchist Italian playwrights in the space of two minutes. That, that Every football fan believes that uh, people are not being played because of bonuses, don't they? We can't play him. He's played 15 times. We play him one more time. We have to pay a bonus. So whether that's true or not. But I think Brendan's initial point is a very interesting one about the the way the number of subs will change bonuses. Yes. So I I contacted one of our friends who is an agent. um, And he says, at Premier League level, it won't make much of a difference because the players are in a stronger negotiating position. And if clubs start playing around, then... Yeah, there's bottom lips go out and all of a sudden, you know, potentially there's going to be a story released to the press that such and such a player is unhappy uh, and therefore, you know, uh, other clubs, probably Chelsea, uh, because they're not signed to play for a couple of weeks, um, are, are, are said to be interested. Um, but as you go further down the divisions, um, it, it it does cause issues. Um, some clubs, by all accounts, have stopped paying players money for being on the bench. Um, so oh. even though they come off the bench, so that's that's not good. Um, you know, and you know, or, or as he described it, that, that shit. 
which yeah. which yeah. Uh, uh, and then we're seeing a variety. Uh, you know, because I said, you know, has there been a shift from physical appearances to money? Sorry, to, to minutes on the pitch, and what some clubs are doing is that we'll give you the the full appearance bonus if you start the match, but if you come on, you'll only get half, which could be harsh, of course, because you could get somebody going, you know, does their hamstring after five minutes and a player mm. comes on for 85 minutes and the guy that did five minutes gets a full bonus and the guy that does 85 minutes gets half. So it all starts to get complicated. And then there's some other clubs saying that, well, you know, if it's if it's before seventy five minutes, we'll give you a bonus. But if it's after seventy five minutes, you don't get your appearance bonus. But then, yeah, you know, as the agent says, yeah, seems what I've just said. Yeah, what happens if 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 my client comes on in the eightieth minute, we're one nil down, and he scores two goals, and he gets no appearance bonus for that? Yeah, that's that, that, that's not incentivizing mm. the the player. So, um, you know, so, some some clubs are better than others. Um, from the player's perspective. Some clubs are taking a fairly draconian approach to this. Um, clearly, there's a limited uh, wage budget to go around. So, so you know, it, we've always always said there's two issues when it comes to either yeah, the money coming in from broadcast or, or in terms of wages. It's the size of the cake and how you cut the cake. Um, and some clubs are perhaps trying to game the system um, as a result of this change to five substitutes. Hmm. Our next question, Kieran, is uh, is a one-club question, which we like. Uh, but before we answer it, it reminds me that we did a couple of weeks ago say we would be looking in detail at Yeovil Town, mm. as many mm. people have asked us to. Uh, we are, I say we, uh, Kieran is looking at the detail, but there are um, <laughs> several things we need to be circumspect about before we talk about them publicly, shall we say. Yes. Um, uh, the colour will be draining from guys' cheeks, literally at the mention of it. But we are we are aware of it, and it doesn't look particularly good. And we do want to talk about it, but we kind of need to make sure our ducks are all in a row before we go public on that one. So, apologise to apologies to Yeovil fans there. But Jack Eustace has our next question, and he just wants to know what the latest situation is at Morecambe. Uh, it seemed he said like they would have a new owner earlier this year, but things seem to have gone quiet. Also, how are the goings on at Morecambe related to the problems? at Worcester Warriors Rugby Club? Yeah, I think if we answer the second question first, in the sense that the Bond group, who are the owners of Morecambe Football Club, were also the owners of Worcester Warriors Rugby Club, which has gone bust. Um, Then in respect of Morecambe's position itself, and we spoke about Morecambe relatively recently, um, the club was put up for sale by the Bond Group around about last September. And then towards the end of 2022, we started to hear stories of an interested party. And then eyebrows were raised, to put it mildly, mm. uh, in the sense that the potential owner is is a young man, and, and, I, and I use the word young here, called uh, Sabjot Johal. Um, he's only 20 years old. Uh, he's from Solihull. So you're thinking... Well, what, what's uh, yeah, if if I was twenty from Solihull um, and had a degree of wealth, why would I be investing that money in a football club in the northwest? 
and I can't even remember whether I should say on the coast or not, so I'm not going to say on the coast or not. Yeah, it's on the coast. Give, give, so, give, yeah, I thought, I thought it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, given my geographical challenges yeah. these days. Yeah, I think, um, I, I think the Shrimpers is, is a... Is a is oh, a, yes, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a, a bit of a giveaway. Yeah. Um, so what has happened, there, there have been uh, potential concerns about lack of payment of wages. There, there was, there was rumours about that. And then it appeared that... Uh, Mr. Jahal has been putting money into the club, but given that he's been linked with Morecambe now for over four months, you would have thought that he would have passed the owners and directors test of the EFL and he would have reached an agreement with the Bond Group with regards to exactly what he's buying. And I'm always concerned that the longer these things drag on, the less comfortable you become. Um, so money has gone in. Um, yeah, the most recent wages have been paid, but you know, we've got wages to be paid at the end of May. Um, there's not that many fixtures left. In fact, there's not any fixtures left in, in League One. Um, and therefore, where else is the money going to come from? As clearly the owners of the Bond Group appear to have, as, as much as they can, have washed their hands of the club. Um, so it, it's it's one which I would describe as on our amber list, right. Morecambe. Um, and, and you might say, well, what, what do you have to do to be on your red list? Um, and probably you have to be called Southend United, sadly, <laughs> because yeah, yeah the, the increased number of stories. Um, and, I, and I was contacted from you – know, we are quite fortunate these days that we, we do have sources at a few clubs of people who are – disappointed with certain aspects of ownership and governance um, and certainly um, somebody that uh, that we have been in contact with has expressed their reservations about the the, the, the continued uh, trading of the club because they've they've you know they picked up they get great away following as well at south end um, but for Morecambe, it's it, it's amber um, it, it's a cause for concern it would be great if we could have a degree of clarity um, now that could be because the owners and directors test has not been passed, and clearly that's a private matter between uh, you know, Mr. Joe Hal and the EFL um, in, in terms of him providing them with sufficient evidence for them to uh, be prepared to sign off. Yeah, I, I have to tip my hat to the designer of the Walkham Shrimp uh, as opposed to the South End Shrimp because he's managed to make the shrimp on the Walkham Shrimp one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that would explain why Walkham players tend not to kiss the badge. Whenever they do something successfully. <laughs> also, I, I noticed, Kieran, uh, before anybody listening suggests it, this is not going to lead to a price of rugby pod. But there does sound like London Irish, the latest rugby team, to um, be struggling to pay their, their mm. players' wages. So it seems that rugby's finances are in a hell of a mess at the moment. Yes, mm. and, and part of the reason for this, and, and, and I'm not being critical, overly critical, Robert, it, rugby has, has converted from being an amateur to a professional sport without necessarily a degree of professionalism in all aspects of the club. Um, and uh, the the governance issues, um, it, it a bit like, I was going to say a bit like the EFL, but we, we're going to talk on the Thursday show about the new EFL TV deal, and we'll probably mm. drop it, drop snippets into today's show. Uh, the new EFL deal is, is a blockbuster by second tier uh, second, third, and fourth tier uh, uh, f- figures. Um, rug- rugby 
struggles because it wants to attract the best players to the Aviva Premiership uh, in order to do that. It's a talent game. It's it's also a game. You know, it's a contact game. Um, and we wouldn't ex- we wouldn't tolerate this in football, would we? When uh, you know there's internationals taking place and and the players just disappear for a month. You know, yeah, and, you know, and, and it's not. And it's yeah, you know, okay. The World Cup this year did cause issues, um, but that that's yeah you know, that, that's the first time that's happened. But they disappear on a regular basis. Um, it, there's far more injuries in rugby given the contact nature of the sport, and uh, you've got. I, I did actually appear on uh, a couple of radio shows this week um, wearing my price of rugby hat, which is uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, which, which isn't the same as my Brighton Nova Albion bobble hat. It has to be said, um, and uh, yeah, the issues is, as we ex- as we see in football, wages being higher than revenue, but there's there's not the same global appeal um, in rugby and, and therefore getting all of the foreign investors that we're seeing coming into English football who are prepared to underwrite those losses becomes that much more difficult. And the other thing that we're seeing in uh, rugby, rugby union, um, before everybody switches off to say this isn't a bloody, thought this was a bloody football show, um, is, is that the clubs are quite nomadic and, and many of them don't own their grounds. So therefore, you know, that's why we've seen the likes of Wasps, you know, ping around like a like a pinball and ended up in Coventry and so on and and that's that that's also an issue in in terms of rugby itself I was literally about to say well we're talking about rugby for us is a bloody football podcast but I realized it was me that answered asked you the question Kira so, uh, <laughs> there are of course a lot of things about rugby that we wouldn't tolerate in football the shape of the ball for one thing <laughs> yes well it's not, it's not a ball is it it's not a ball how many more times do we have to say this uh, Jim Dennett uh, Kieran, has a, a a question in detail about a subject that tends to make us laugh quite a lot, um, and it's the relationship between Watford and Udinese, um, mm. the money that Ryanair must make flying people to and from both those places. Uh, but Jim Dennett says Watford sold Hassan Kamara to Udinese for £16 million, but then had him loaned back for the season. Why would the two clubs agree to that deal, and how mm. are Watford's finances overall? We've sold a lot of players in recent years. Yeah, mainly to Udinese. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The, the the reason why this is, is an issue which has raised eyebrows is that Watford and Udinese are both owned by the Pozzo family. Now, different members of the Pozzo family. So, you know, th- there's elements of Dallas in this. There's elements of succession. You know, there's there's elements of all of those soaps that uh, that involve families who f- who fell out. Uh, I presume I've got to mention the Mitchell brothers as well, um, as well as <laughs> yeah. the Piranha brothers. Um, find that from people that know that, that particular sketch. Um, but th- there's been a huge number of uh, deals between the two clubs. Um, the accusation is that uh, in terms of Hassan Kamara, uh, you know, he was bought, I think he's 29. So, you know, there's not, a, he, he's probably on his last decent contract. He, he was bought in January, 2022 by Watford for 3.6 million. Six months later, he sold for 16 million for a club which had been relegated and had been leaking goals, and he's a defender. By all accounts, he's a decent player. I'm, I'm not, not denying that. Um, and then mysteriously loaned back. So it appears that Watford had been booking the profits um, in their accounts. And one of the issues with multi-club ownership is that it does give football clubs the opportunity to 
shift profits between one part of the group and another. Um, this is not uh, just an issue with football because you know I'm sure we're old enough to remember yeah you know, when we used to grumble a few years ago. Why, why am I paying more income tax than Facebook is paying in corporation tax because you know, Facebook's uh, profits happen to, to to all seem to arise in those countries where they've got low tax rates. So there, there, there's always um, extra consideration when it comes to multi-club ownership deals. With regards to Watford's finances overall, um, they're not great, but they did sell Jao Pedro to Brighton for £30 million earlier this week. So I think yeah, they've, their player sale model is actually quite good. Um, even even off an operational basis, they're they're not doing particularly well as far as the championship is concerned. Mm. Earlier this week, you say? Earlier this week, really? Yeah. How, how, how are you doing business outside the window? It's it's a pre-window agreement, so effectively ah. he's not going to play for Watford again. Um, and yeah, some some sometimes clubs do their business early in the window, uh, both yeah. coming in and possibly going out Some, sometimes yeah, sensible forward-thinking clubs kieran maybe not palace no uh palace just put a ring around the day before the last day of the transfer window go buy someone um the, the multi-club ownership kieran this idea of booking profits in, in different places all perfectly uh legal and above board though isn't it um oh okay yes (laughs) it it, it is sometimes it does warrant further investigation by tax authorities in individual countries by all accounts um the udinese are perfectly happy with the deal because they say that under italian rules that transactions between related parties and that's what we have as far as Watford and Udinese are concerned have to be sort of double checked by the Italian FA and they were happy with the 16 million pounds um there is scope for fun and games with the numbers though uh, Tom McCormick Kieran has our next question and this is rapidly becoming one of those uh, top five subjects that our listeners are becoming obsessed with, and it's it's about loans with obligations and options at the end of them. Uh, <clears throat> Tom says, it seems to me there's been an increase in the use of loans with an option or obligation to buy in the last few years, and this has got me wondering when the players agree personal terms. We know no player can be transferred without their agreement, so presumably in a loan with an obligation to buy, the player must have agreed to the final transfer and the contract which comes with it before the loan move begins. But can players get out of that move, for example, if the buying club is relegated? And also when the club has an option to buy, do the player and the club get the potential permanent deal in place before the loan begins? And that last bit is a, is a question that a lot of people have been asking. When does, you know, Are they essentially transferring the player before they're even on loan? Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a few questions in there, so, so let's, let's just un- unpack those. Um, the issue of an obligation to buy is determined by a uh, a trigger. Now, that trigger is normally a relegation or a promotion. So if, if we take a look at the issue, which, which we covered again a few weeks ago, with, with Leeds United signing, was it John Kevin Augustine? Yeah. Or not signing John Kevin no, Augustine? No, no, no. That was a contract which had an obligation to buy, and the obligation was triggered should 
Leeds United be promoted to the the Premier League, um, and the yeah, the initial ruling is is that uh, they they have to a pay the transfer fee and b have to pay the player, which I think is causing uh, a gnashing of teeth um, in in Yorkshire. Um, so so there has to be a trigger now with regards to the t- the personal terms; those would be agreed at the same time as the transfer of the player's registration, because otherwise you could have otherwise you could force a player to move for a fiver a week um, when, when the new contract kicks in. So that's why uh, everything has to be uh, achieved simultaneously and, and the player and his representatives would, would be party to the the deal overall. Um, so, and, and then if we take a look at when the club has an option to buy, again, what tends to be the case, because what's the point of applying the option so you might have a player on loan to you and and this is this is to protect both parties um in which which the the selling club for want of a better phrase says um yeah if at the end of the season if you want to sign the player it's yeah it's half a million pounds it's 10 million pounds whatever it's going to be again there's no point in having that option which the the buying club can trigger unless the buying club club has independently of that also had a meeting with the player and his representatives and agreed the terms and conditions of the of, of the player's contract. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our next question, Kieran, it's another one about a club that we seem to be spending a lot of time talking about, even though ostensibly they don't seem to be in any trouble. And it comes from Chris Pope, and it's about Preston North End. And Chris says Preston North End are often cited locally as being close to breaking FFP rules. Is that so? And why exactly would that be? And is it possible to calculate how much we might be able to spend this summer without breaking those rules? Um, right. Well, um, thank you very much, Chris, for a bit of spreadsheet heaven that <laughs> you gave to me. Um, so I, I dug out Preston North End's accounts for the, the last three seasons, which we have available. And for people um, unfamiliar with the financial fair play rules, you're allowed a financial fair play loss of £39 million over three years now if you take the accounting loss the accounting loss is actually quite a bit uh, greater than that and the reason for that is that Preston lost about 400 grand a week in 21-22 but then you start to do your adjustments so you're allowed to add back your infrastructure costs you're allowed to add back your um, academy costs now Preston I think they've only got a, a Category 3 academy, so that's probably 
you know, probably around about seven, eight hundred grand a year. Um, Preston have got a women's team. You add back the losses there. Um, they've got a community scheme. You know, I've, I've sort of factored in. And when, when I did that, I got an FFP loss and did threw in threw in some figures for COVID. I had an FFP loss of of around about thirty five to thirty six million. So they they've got a bit of headroom, but not a huge amount. I don't know the extent of their their finances for. Um, 22, 23. Clearly, that's an ongoing issue. So how much money can they send spend in the summer? Um, a, a lot will depend on you know, which division they're in. Uh, I, I think they've still have they still got an outside chance. I, I may be wrong. Apologies to Preston fans if, if, if I, I've not I've not checked the the championship table. But I know there's there's still uh, a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a bun bun fight in in respect of some of those final playoff positions. And I think Preston were, were not too far away, but I might I might be wrong on that. Um, so a lot would depend upon which division they're playing um and and then you you would probably if i'm honest you'd be looking at a who who can we get off the payroll you know who uh whose contracts are coming up uh for expiry you can shift those off the payroll potentially and are there any players um for whom a you have sold or b um you might have some add-ons that are kicking in over the course of this summer so there is a, there is scope to spend a wee bit of money but um i don't think you know assuming that they are a championship club next season um i don't think those uh, mbappe to uh, to to north end rumors are are worth starting just yet mm. kieran i'm going to distract the listeners by just chatting for a little bit you, you use one of the burner phones that you use for journalists <laughs> to quickly google where preston are in the championship because i'm i'm disappointed to learn kieran that you've become one of those arrogant premier league fans that have no interest in anything that's going on, probably below eighth in the Premier League. Kieran, you've got no interest in that at all. You've become you've become a terrible. Have you found it? Uh, not no, they're not new, just they, yet. They, you they, see? they could be in the play. It's all. It's uh, tomorrow is a big day. Tomorrow uh, is a big day. Yeah. They could be in. They all could be in the playoffs. Uh, yes, all very exciting. Um, our next question, Kieran, comes from Gregory Cordell. Now, I've never met Gregory, but Gregory, if you're listening, and I hope you are, I would like to thank you. Because you've made Kieran, <laughs> as you can tell by his chuckle, the minute I read any question that begins with a sentence I don't understand, I just sit back and think, oh, Kieran's going to love this. This is Christmas in May for Kieran. Um, because Gregory Cordell's question begins with these words. I have a question about the cost of additions line item in the intangible asset schedule in financial statements. Are there any costs beyond transfer fees to selling clubs plus fees to intermediaries for the year appearing in that figure, for example, sign-on bonuses? I ask because the Liverpool FC accounts for 2021 report £136 million for additions, which is a significantly higher gross transfer fend than unexpected based on media reports and agreed transfer fees plus the FA report on fees to intermediaries. I presume LFC is Liverpool FC. Yes, 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 it is. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. So, yeah, Kieran, fill your boots. I'll be back in a minute. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, Gregory, you've clearly done your homework with regards to this. Um, and, and I've looked on websites, you know, Transfer Market, this this is Anfield and so on. And, and certainly there does appear to be a significant difference, probably in the region around about £50 million. Um, part of the reason for this is that um, sometimes, you know, and we've just been, you know, I've just been mentioning that uh, the Brighton have sold a, effectively bought a player before the the transfer window starts. Well, 
there's a further issue when it comes to dates because we as fans we we say that uh, if if we're taking a look at the 23-24 season that that season starts the minute the final match of 22-23 ends and any anybody signed over the course of the summer um, is automatically a 23-24 signing. But that's not necessarily the case because football clubs have financial year ends. Now, if if the financial year end is the 30th of June and you sell a player or buy a player in June, that goes into the previous year's accounts rather than the, the upcoming one. So sometimes there's a disconnect between what we perceive as being a purchase in a particular year and the way that it works in the accounts, simply because of cutoff dates. Um, so you know, if you think about Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Kevin, where, when he was sold to, to Manchester United by mm. Palace, and also remember when we had Richarlison being sold by Everton to Spurs, both of those deals, I think, went through on the 30th of June, mm. and that allowed both Palace and Everton to record those sales and therefore book the profits in the season which we've just had rather than the season that's coming up. So a lot of it has got to do with with timing. Um, In addition, sometimes there's a case that you might have some add-ons which the club will capitalise in respect of of earlier transfers, which they'll then try to amortise over a period of time. Although personally, that that makes me a bit twitchy. Mm. Uh, Our next question, Kieran, comes from Richard. Uh, You know my views on the subject of Mm. just one name, Kieran, but uh, given the point he makes in his first sentence, perhaps we can understand why he wants to keep it (laughs) to just Richard. (laughs) As Richard says, will we ever see three o'clock kickoffs on TV in the UK again without the need for a dodgy box? Um, Richard, you can put yourself... We're not grasses. There's there's many things we are on this show, Richard, inefficient, late occasionally, uh, wrong with our references, obsessed with the 70s, but grasses, no, never. Um, Uncle Terry would be be mortified. If if we could just locate where his grave was, he would certainly be turning in it. We we narrowed it down, though. We were somewhere off the M6, didn't we? We, Yes, we did. Um, Richard says, looking at just the Premier League, surely we're at a point where we won't see empty stadiums, regardless of whether a game is on TV or not at three o'clock. It would be more inclusive for those who, like my granddad, can't make the games anymore due to poor health. And would there be any significant financial implication for fans or clubs? I doubt the extra competition would make Sky drop their prices, Mm. but it would mean that if you wanted to see every game, it's an additional subscription, unless it was paid for by advertising, but at least you have the choice. And we we did say it, it felt really strange on Saturday, I don't know, it's unusual circumstances. And speaking of the correlation, Ken, I was going to memorise the script tonight, but if the Archbishop of Canterbury couldn't be bothered to learn his lines, so I don't <laughs> see why I should bother to memorise this. But it, 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 it did feel very odd having the Man City Leeds game be, be on at three o'clock on telly on a, mm. on a Saturday. But I think Richard's got a point. I mean, much as you and I are, are probably hyper romantic about the three o'clock kickoff time, it, it 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 seems odd to think that it will still be with us in five, ten years' time, doesn't it? Well, it will be with us in five years' time because I, I think I mentioned earlier that uh, the EFL has a new TV deal. Yeah, and I think 
there, there was a, a genuine uh, you know, discussion as to the merits uh, in respect of the blackout. But as far as the EFL is concerned, in the deal which kicks in in 2024 to 2029, the, the 3 p.m. blackout is being preserved. And given that the Premier, the, the EFL are sort of broadly trying to align their timeframes with, with those of the Premier League, then that, that would perhaps indicate that the Premier League wants to keep it as well. Um, so... Will we, we we won't see empty stadiums? Uh, the, the EFL's argument is that it's it's good for tradition, it's good for preserving grassroots, not you know below the EFL itself. Yeah, uh, because course, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that has always been an issue that if you support a a a, a local team which is you know you know sixth, seventh, eighth tier. Um, and there's a local game on at 3 p.m., then that would have an impact upon attendances. And you haven't got the benefit of a TV deal yourself. So, so yeah, certainly yeah. grassroots football, and what I would refer to as genuine grassroots, because the Premier League definition of grassroots actually starts with the championship, which yeah. I always found somewhat bizarre. Um, then, then that is a cause for concern. But um, it looks as if that is going to be maintained as far as the um, – the, the, the EFL is concerned, um, and therefore sellers of dodgy boxes, um, you know, which we, we, we cannot endorse. Uh, they're normally called Big Dave, and they're <laughs> normally we found uh, in the local pub. Mm. Um, so with regards to your granddad, um, I, I can, you know, all, all granddad, I'm speaking as a granddad myself, you know, I want to see as many matches as possible, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that of his of his uh, poor health, which prevents him from going. Um, it's 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 not going to happen uh, for a while, um, but you know, we're living in a world in which we, we we've learned to say never say never. Mm. Um, I'm quite reassured about. It. I do feel sorry for Richard's granddad, but I'm quite reassured that the three o'clock kickoff is here with us for some time now. Um, our next question comes from James. Just mm. James, and I would disapprove, but I'm choosing to believe that it's actually from the band, um, who, <laughs> right. who I imagine you would have seen sometime in the past. Oh, I have, oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Or, or the bass player and half of the drummer is still claiming to be James. Um, no, they're still going. Are they still, still going? going? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, um, I, I admire their um, their attitude rather than me. I do. I, I mean, I love "I Sit Down," but I'd be struggling to name another James song. I have to say. Oh, no, no, they, 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 they still sell out uh, the Manchester Arena. Do they? Because they've no. got a huge cult following in the city. Because they always were a sort of a, uh, yeah, an, an under, uh, yeah, the, the, an, uh, an under, under the arches band very in so, Manchester. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, mainly for their t-shirts, um, and then they became you know pretty big uh, themselves. Now they're, they're they're great life. I'd oh. thoroughly recommend it. So, uh, where do they? Where would you place them next to Duran Duran? Who I've been mystifying people by saying that you went to see last week. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to take one for the team, Kevin. Sometimes you've got to take one for the team. Uh, anyway, James's question is this. James says, I support Arsenal. Uh, so it's not the band then, obviously. Um, I support Arsenal. Having seen the Women's FA Cup final last year, hmm. I began to wonder the following. With the increase in popularity in women's football, is it inevitable that over time the biggest women's clubs will be the same as the men's to the extent that the WSL will have the same teams as the Premier League and similarly for the Champions League. I, I hate to say this, James, but I, I think using various animal-based metaphors, the 
the horse is out of the stable already on that one and the cat is, is out of the bag because there are many people, Kieran, who think that already we've missed the chance to make the WSL a, a, a more fairer distribution model when it comes to money because certainly we are seeing the same four teams winning every year and qualifying for Europe, aren't we? Yes, I mean, it looks like Manchester United uh, have got a genuine chance of, of winning the WSL and that club didn't exist, what, five years ago? Indeed, so yeah. um, Newcastle United, that they, they, they've started their, their women's team um, and yeah, I don't be really, rude, that's going to have a detrimental impact on Gateshead. Um, and, and Durham. And Durham, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the issue is, as far as the WSL is concerned, and um, as well as using Companies House to uh, determine all of the profits and losses of men's teams, I do the same for women's teams as well. Women's football is is losing money. It's great to see the growth, um, but that growth is not turning into profits. And, and part of the reason for that is the, the clubs are trying to grow the game, ticket prices are not high enough. The The broadcast deal is is much better than it was, but the broadcast deal is not big enough to allow those clubs to break even. Now, yeah, we, we, we've seen yeah, some of the amazing attendances um, at, at you know, the likes of the Emirates and, and so on yeah, this season, which yeah. I think is, is very, very encouraging. And I think on a, a longer term, those clubs will, will start to break even. Um, but in the short term, the average losses are probably in the region of a million pounds a year. If you are Arsenal, if you are Manchester United, if you are Chelsea and so on, losing a million pounds a year is something which you can relatively easily afford. Mm. If you are an independent football club, it's far more of an issue because you've not got the benefits of a of that parent club with huge revenues coming in from the men's TV the the men's Premier League deal. Um often you, you tend to be what I would describe as more local than those clubs that have high net worth individual owners who, again, who are prepared to subsidise the losses in, in in the women's team. And therefore, those clubs have to try to break even. Now, if you're going to break even, it means that you can't match the wages paid by some of the other clubs in the WSL. Um, and also, you, you don't have the benefits of saying, right, you know, Spurs are playing Arsenal. Um, you, know, you can't do that if you lose and say, right, we're going to switch the game to White Hart Lane and we know we're going to get 40,000 people because you know Spurs versus Arsenal is, is a big game. You know, if it's an under eights, you know you're still going to get a lot of people turning up to go and watch it because it's Spurs versus Arsenal. It's a big derby, and so on. And I, I, I therefore expect that to further accelerate over a period of time. And it does mean that the the independent teams who without yeah, without their efforts, we, we wouldn't have a WSL because those are the you know when when the Premier League clubs weren't as interested as they are now, it was the likes of Lewis and it was the likes mm. of Gateshead and, and London City and so on that that ploughed that particular furrow with regards to um, trying to have a, a product and 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 giving opportunities uh, you know for, for for women and girls to to actually play the game on a, on a competitive basis. Mm. Our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from Carl Hamburger. And Carl says, Kieran spoke about write-downs of football players in the financial statements. That in the financial world, investments at the end of the year are often marked up and valued at market value, even above their cost price. Why would football clubs not do the same? Right. Um, 
The reason, Carl, why football clubs cannot do the same is because you've said they're marked up and valued at market value. Well, the thing is, if I'm looking at the shares of Apple, if I'm looking at, um, and I own you know, 100,000 shares in Apple, I can say, here's the stock exchange. Our year end is the 31st of December. This is what the stock exchange says is the value of Apple's shares. It's $125. I, I can do the sums. At the 30th of June, 2023, what is the market value of Joel Ward? What is the market value of Bastian Schweinsteiger? What is the market value of Mohamed Salah and mm. so on? There isn't a, you know, the whole point about a market. A market is where you tend to have lots and lots of buyers and sellers who are trading broadly identical products. So, you know, if I go to, uh, you know, I I I used to go to uh, markets where they were selling, you know, when when I used to go and spend the summers on on, on our farm uh, in Tipperary. So you'd have you'd have markets for cattle, you'd have markets for sheep. And you, you went in and, you know, a cow is a cow is a cow as far as the market is concerned. Whereas for footballers, they have unique talents. And it's a bit like, you know, paintings. You know, why, why are not all paintings sold at the same price? It's because they, they have that unique factor. So because there is no unique market, you cannot value at a market value because – on the 30th of June, 2023, nobody is selling a Joel Ward. You know, there's one to sell. Whereas if it was barrels of oil, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of barrels of oil being sold on that particular day. So therefore, we, we value down because accountants are very conservative. You can reverse the, the impairment, um, which has previously gone down. I, I mentioned Bastian Schweinsteiger. He was signed by Manchester United. Um, under the uh, managership of Louis van Gaal. Then um, Jose Marino came in, and Marino was trying to uh, you know, show his ego. So the first thing he did is he picked on the player and says, you're crap, you were signed by the previous manager, you're going to go and play with the reserves. And Manchester United had to write him down because he was no longer a first-team player. He was now training with the kids. Um, and then Manchester United had uh, an injury crisis. They brought Schweinsteiger back into the first team and they were able to reverse the impairment. But you're not allowed to go above your your reversal figure. So it, it's all to do with the fact is that there are no markets as such for individual players. I'll tell you what, Kieran, Sky Transfer Deadline Day coverage would be a lot more watchable <laughs> if it took place in a corrugated shed somewhere in the countryside <laughs> with 200 yes. club owners in flat caps and woolly boots watching on as players just get paraded up and a bloke with a really fast voice just goes through loads of numbers and slams his gavel down. And the player Especially gets, if the voice is Irish. Instead, the voice is Irish, actually, and, then, and then Joel Ward just gets tied up and put in the back of a white van and taken off to another club. I think I'd probably watch that. Um, our final question comes from Jack Diath. Uh, but don't go anywhere, listeners, because we have a little bit of news of our own to share with you, um, which we'd like you to help us with. Uh, and Jack Diaz says, friend of the pot, Accrington chairman Andy Holt, has been talking about how he feels the distribution of money from iFollow is unfair. And again, this is another subject here, and it's quite quickly broken into our top five or six, you know, mm. the finances of streaming. But Jack says, cards on the table, he's not so popular with my team, it's rich town, after calling our captain Sam Morsey a shithouse. house." <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid my pronunciation, my South London pronunciation of shithouse, doesn't do full justice to Andy Holtz. No, we with Andy. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> uh, and Sam Morsey got a retrospective ban on the basis of some not very clear video evidence, it says here. Uh, <laughs> but Jack says, Andy seems to feel that the club shouldn't receive the money for the I follow passes they sell, i.e. the way clubs. But my side Ipswich regularly sell out away ends, so shouldn't they benefit from selling extra iFollow passes? Can you explain the costs involved in iFollow for the home team? And could you propose a fair system for the profits from iFollow? Right. Um, well, again, this sort of ties in with the new EFL TV deal, where I think we're going from around about 200 matches to 1,000 matches a season mm. going to be broadcast. So therefore, on the back of that, there's going to be far less demand for iFollow, given oh. that the matches will be available on Sky. Mm. Um, but in terms of the additional costs for the home team, those costs are fairly negligible. Um, the issue uh, that, that Andy Holt has, I think, is twofold. First of all, there is the potential loss of income from away fans. I absolutely understand Ipswich. A congratulations, fantastic season. Yeah, um, yeah, thoroughly deserved promotion. Um, and you know, yeah, it, it, well, welcome back to the championship. There, the, yeah, the championship's going to be fantastic as it always is uh, next season. But I think Ipswich, there being there, and, and also our good friends at Plymouth absolutely. as well, is, is, is going to be brilliant. Um, but. Not all clubs sell out away ends, and those clubs that don't, I think this this is where Andy is his issue. He says, well, you know, what happens if it is you know Morecambe? What happens if it is Burton Albion? They would normally bring seven hundred, but this time they're only bringing four hundred, and Burton have sold the uh, three. You know, Burton have sold a few hundred. I follow passes as well. Now the way that I follow used to work was the home team kept all of its I follow passes income and then it was the first 500 of the um away tickets went to the they were paid to the home team and then there was some sort of split so in terms of a fair system and i think andy's other issue um and again i i understand some sympathy here what what we want is competitive balance in in divisions and there's no doubt you know, think about some of the clubs that we've had in the in in the championship in recent years. You know, Sunderland were there for three years. We've got Derby County. We've got Sheffield Wednesday. Um, we we've we've got Ipswich Town un, until until this season. Um, and then you also have you know, the likes of Burton, Accrington, Stanley, um, Morecambe, and, and so on. And if you were to give and, and this is how the present system works. If you were to give 100% of the revenue when an away team sells a pass to the away team, it's going to further increase the divide between the rich and the not-so-rich. Um, is there a solution to that? You know, I, I'm, I'm a great belief in, in profit-sharing in football. I'm, I'm, I'm old enough and grumpy enough to, to still believe that, that match day, you know, ticket sales should be shared between the home team and the yeah. away team. Um, and you know, that's, that's what you have in, in the NFL and the NBA and so on. So, so why can't we have that in, uh, in, in football here? Because it, re- it, it doesn't make a huge difference, but it, it does help to, to narrow the gaps between the haves and the have-nots. So some form of split, and, and even if that is, you know, 
60-40 going to the away team because they're bringing those away fans. They're, they're still bringing, they're still making more money, and and it's helping out the the less uh, the less wealthy clubs as well. Yeah, uh, back in the eighties, uh, Kieran, there is no way as a Palace fan you could watch an away game unless you were at the away game. But yep. you you could two days later buy a video of the away game at the club <laughs> yes. shop, um, which was very shonky in quality because it was basically the press secretary filming it on one camera. Uh, and my favourite was in the away game at Norwich, where about 10 minutes from the end, you can clearly hear the bloke from the advertiser ask if he can have a lift back to Croydon, right? uh, <laughs> which distracted which distracted Terry Byfield, our press secretary. Um, and talking of the past... <laughs> I'm quite proud of myself for that, Kieran. <laughs> yes, um, great. Top linking. This is where top linking. Thank you. Um, this is our little bit of news, uh, lovely listeners. Now, as well as our regular Monday pod, which is questions, our Thursday pod, which is news, and our interview pod on Friday, which is guess what? Interviews. Um, we are also thinking <laughs> of uh, over the summer doing an occasional series of nostalgic pods, looking back at the money behind specific seasons or specific games or instance from football's past. So, for example, we might talk about the 1987 FA Cup final, that wonderful, groundbreaking Leeds United deal with kit manufacturer Admiral back in the 70s, the collapse of ITV Digital 20 years ago. So (laughs) we're going to do one soon, but we want your ideas. So if you have any questions or ideas for things that we might like to discuss on a a, a one or two-off football finance nostalgia pod, then please send them to use via social media or using questions at priceoffootball.com. If you'd like to a question you'd like to answer on the show, use the same address, questions at priceoffootball.com. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, go to patreon.com, price of football. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, as always, uh, thank you to everybody for the, the support for the show. Um, you, Patreon. Uh, subscribers thank you so much uh, we 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 do have a quiz coming up for you um at the end of this month which which we are putting together at present just as a just as a way of saying uh, an extra thank you to you um there's other ways that you can support the show and one of those ways is is to give us a review we we, we don't quite understand how it works mainly because We've never bothered to particularly make the effort to find out, <laughs> myself and Kevin. But <laughs> the producer guy does does sort of talk algorithms and so on. Um, and it doesn't matter what you say on the reviews. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by Joel Ward and the Tipperary Orc, Irish auctioneer, which I used to listen to <laughs> with mouth agog because uh, I, con- confession time – I never understood a word that my aunties and uncles from our Tipperary farm ever used to say to me because it's quite a strong Irish accent and it is delivered pretty fast to begin with. And you add to that the, the, the enthusiasm of an auctioneer and when you were eight years old, it, it was just a sea of discovery. Never had a clue what was going on, but it was very exciting at the time. Yeah, I, I imagine a lot of what they were saying, Kim, was put that spreadsheet down, you're eight years old. Yes. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football.
that provides some photo fall.